You're going to love this. Just love it. Any news breaks during the show, let me know, Desi. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I know why. I got the feeling that something right. News keeps breaking I'm everywhere you go. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you on an incredibly busy news day in the middle of an incredibly busy news week. Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Here with another live broadcast on Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn, Netroots Radio, Liberal Justice Radio, now and now iTunes, and many other fine affiliates. Welcome to the Bradcast. Well, no more Jews in Congress. There's your uh, there's your news. To, well, actually, no more Jews. Okay, no more Jews on the Republican side of Congress. That's the big breaking news. That's what happened last night in Virginia. Uh, an amazing story, frankly. And uh, now there are uh, 435 members of the House. There's 100 uh, members of the U.S. Senate. And the Republicans can't seem to come up with a single Jew they can support uh, for any of those seats. Imagine that. Despite all of their pretend support for Israel, and you know, I, I tell my relatives, my relatives, I'm Jewish, my, my relatives who um, are somehow inexplicably Republican, why are you Republican? Well, because they support Israel. No, they don't. The only reason they support Israel is because the only thing they hate more than Jews is Muslims. That's just me. That's just my. But the point here is what happened yesterday in Virginia was a political bombshell. And the media ever since, the mainstream corporate media, have been making up all kinds of reasons for why it happened. And they can actually offer evidence for none of them. The one reason for what happened yesterday that they won't be discussing, we will be discussing exclusively here on the broadcast momentarily. Also, we'll have a few words on the continuing shooting and continuing right-wing domestic terrorism spree that is now plaguing our nation, that has been plaguing our nation for some time. Uh, A little bit later in the show, I will have some uh, previously unreported details on this is an amazing story. The uh, did you guys hear about the uh, the Tea Party trio's Mississippi mystery courthouse caper in the uh, Mississippi Senate race between Thad Cochran and Chris McDaniels, uh, where there'll be a Republican uh, runoff after the primary there when the uh, Tea Party or Chris McDaniel. 
upset the six-term Senator Thad Cochran, but neither of them got 50 percent, so it's going to a runoff. But what happened on election night last Tuesday is amazing, and I spoke with uh, some election officials up there about what happened when this trio snuck into the courthouse in the middle of the night of election night where all the uh, election ballots were. So I will give you those details that uh, nobody else seems to be reporting uh, in a little bit. We'll also have another exclusive report on the California legislature, which today we just broke this afternoon at bradblog.com, is uh, the California legislature is moving to restrict election recounts to all but rich people. I wish I was kidding. It's a Republican bill. And the Democrats are supporting it. I will explain uh, as we move ahead. Also, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be with us as usual with our follow-up to last week's major announcement from the Obama EPA of new emission standards for power plants and the real-life data that actually shows that the Koch brothers and the Republicans and the other fossil fuel fiends out there are completely wrong. Emissions reductions actually boost economic growth instead of killing it. That's right. We won't, we won't all be uh, freezing in the dark thanks to these new uh, restrictions, these new standards, these new regulations, reductions on uh, carbon dioxide emissions from power plants. Okay, but first, and I said it's going to be busy, so get a pen, get a paper, uh, you'll want to take notes. I don't know if we'll get to calls or not. Our phone number, in case we do, in case you want to get in, in case you want to correct me, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Whether we'll have time to get to the phones, I don't know, but you can get in line. You can try if you want. Uh, okay, uh, the political bombshell that is rocking D.C. today. Republican House Majority Leader Eric Cantor has been ousted by a Tea Party challenger and nobody, nobody in Washington, D.C. either saw it coming or has any clue even today why it happened, how it can be that, uh, what is he, a seven-term House member, uh, Eric Cantor, at least, uh, how he could lose to this guy who he had outspent reportedly 20 to 1 yesterday in the Washington Washington Post in the morning uh, before the election results came in, obviously. Rachel Weiner, the uh, genius uh, reporter at Virginia's local paper known as the Washington Post, She reported, quote, a conservative challenger is expected to fall short of defeating House Majority Leader Eric Cantor in Tuesday's congressional primary. The question in this race is how large Cantor's margin of victory will be, unquote. Well, it was so large, it was something like negative 11 percent, as reported by the the voting systems in the 7th District in Virginia. Uh, Those are the same uh, geniuses, the political reporters who didn't see it coming, who are now telling us why this bombshell happened. And this has been going on since last night as they sort of backwards engineer reasons why it is that uh, Dave Bratt somehow beat Eric Cantor. They all go back and they say, oh, it must have been this. It must have been that. It was uh, Cantor's favor. Uh, This this was uh, all last night. Cantor's position in favor of amnesty. Now, today, it is, uh, no, it was his lack of support for immigration reform 
At, because as it turns out, in his uh, in his district, uh, immigration reform is very popular, even among Republicans. So no, it wasn't that. No, it was instead it was his his lack of support for his conservative colleagues. That's what it was. That's what they're telling us. Oh no, no, it wasn't that. It was Democrats crossing over to vote. In the primary election, those meddling Democrats, they did it. They were just undid uh, Eric Cantor. No, 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 it wasn't that. It was GOP anti-Semitism. That's what it was. The move to get the Jews out of Congress. That's in the New York Times, by the way. <laughs> this is really, uh, you know, despite the fact that Eric Cantor, the only remaining uh, Republican uh, uh, Jewish member of Congress, uh, despite the fact that he's been uh, reelected year after year after year, now all of a sudden it's anti-Semitism. That's what they want him out. No, no, it wasn't that. It was the power of right-wing talk radio. It was Laura Ingram and Glenn Beck and all of those folks uh, supporting Dave Bratt. Well, that actually could have been. That actually has some legitimacy. Actually, a lot of these have legitimacy to them. Uh, no, it was crony. It was corruption and crony capitalism. Because, in fact, that's what Dave Bratt uh, talked about while he was campaigning as he was criticizing Eric Cantor. So it could be any one of those things. It could be a combination of those things. It could be absolutely none of those things. The point is that everyone that you hear on the media is absolutely speculating about what happened in Virginia's 7th Congressional District yesterday. They have no idea, and they're trying to backwards engineer an explanation for why it is that uh, Eric Cantor's own internal uh, polling numbers had shown him up by 34 points just a few weeks ago, and why it is that David Bratt would end up winning by 11 points. This thing wasn't even close. It was a blowout, if you believe the computer-reported results of the election. The computer-reported results, which have not been verified by anybody, not a single human being. So immediately, as, as soon as uh, these results started coming in yesterday and everybody was stunned, uh, I started getting questions uh, from all kinds of folks on the Twitters uh, and elsewhere. By the way, you can reach me on the Twitters at the Brad blog if you want to get in with a question or concern or a statement. Uh, anyway, I started getting questions about these results. Well, should we trust these results? Are these results legitimate? How do we explain these? Uh, is there a concern about the voting system? Well, I don't know. So I took a look at Virginia's uh, 7th Congressional District, and it's actually made up of about 10 different counties. I should say nine different counties in one city, Richmond City, uh, all of which use pretty much all of which use totally different types of voting systems. Uh, eight of the 10 use 100 uh, percent uh, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Two of the 10 use paper ballot optical scan systems. As a matter of fact, two of the three largest counties, or at least the uh, where, where the um, where there were the most votes and where Bratz margin uh, over Cantor was the largest. They actually use paper ballot systems. Made by ESNS. Uh, but what people don't know, unless they listen to the Bradcast, unless they read Bradblog.com, is that those paper ballot systems are not checked by anyone. They run the paper ballots through the computer. The computer either gets it right or wrong. And these particular ESNS optical scan readers, these computers get it wrong. They have gotten it wrong before in previous elections. We have no idea if they got them right or wrong uh, this time around. 
But um, that's what we're relying on. So while all the media are out there, as usual, trying to come up with reasons how they could have been so wrong, how they could have gotten it so wrong, nobody is bothering to check that the results are correct. So, in fact, what you've got is about uh, 39,000 votes in that race, which are 100 percent unverifiable in the Virginia 7th race between Eric Cantor and David Bratt. Uh, they're on touchscreens. They can never be checked for accuracy. We don't even know if one of them was accurately recorded. In two of the largest counties where uh, 26,000 votes were cast, those are on paper ballots. Those can be checked for accuracy, although nobody probably ever will. As it turns out in Virginia, as we've reported, uh, as we reported last year, when uh, 3,000 votes disappeared in the attorney general's race in Virginia... Uh, as we reported back then, if you want to recount in Virginia, if you can even get one, your paper ballots are run through the same optical scan computers that counted them correctly or incorrectly the first time. So anyway, I just think this is worth pointing out. Uh, you can go to bradblog.com and you can see uh, we broke it all down for you there, exactly how uh, each of the counties votes exactly how those voting systems work, exactly what the concerns are. And again, not suggesting anybody stole it, not suggesting there was an error or an accident. I'm just suggesting that we have no idea if Eric Cantor actually lost. All we're doing is going by what the uh, often uh, wrong, often inaccurate, easily manipulated computers had to say. And it just seems to me, as long as, uh, you know, these uh, genius pundits who got it completely wrong are going out there on the airwaves and talking about what they think happened as they are pulling stuff out of their rear end, trying to explain this uh, stunning, this stunning loss of uh, the Republican majority leader for the first time in uh, either history or since 1899. It's unclear, but it's incredibly rare. Uh, it may have never happened that a sitting Republican majority leader or a majority leader from any party actually would be undone, would lose in a primary. So it's an amazing story. Uh, check that out uh, at bradblog.com if you want some more information. And we will have more uh, election news ahead, as I teased at the top of the show. But there was something I wanted to talk about today, earlier in the week, before uh, before that election broke yesterday, uh, that I want to make sure does not get lost, because it has gotten lost week after week, month after month, year after year. Uh, we are now looking at what was the uh, 74th school shooting since Newtown in uh, in December of 2012. We had this over the weekend in Oregon. Uh, actually, I guess the beginning of the week. Our 74th school shooting. Nobody even pays attention to these things anymore because, oh, ho-hum. 74 school shootings since Newtown, and there has been no federal legislation passed to increase any type of gun safety measures, not background checks, uh, I- improvements there, uh, no legislation to even restore the, the CDC's ability to study and report on gun violence. The, yes, that's, that's illegal now. That has been made illegal by the U.S. Congress. Nothing. There has been no changes. But even further, frankly, down the totem pole uh, of, from these mass shootings, are concerns about domestic terrorism, specifically the explosion of right-wing domestic terrorism in this country. 
Now, had we paid attention to the now redacted Department of Homeland Security report from 2009, remember that? Just after Obama came into office in April of 2009, the Department of Homeland Security put out a report on right-wing extremist terrorism and the threat uh, that posed to our nation. That followed a few months earlier uh, a report on left-wing extremist terrorism. But for some reason, Republicans on right-wing talk radio and Fox News didn't throw a fit about the report uh, concerning left-wing terrorism. But when the one on right-wing terrorism came out, oh, they went crazy. And that had to be redacted. And it was an insult. It was Obama. It was Obama attacking conservatives. And because Obama pretty much folds when it comes to anything like this, uh, they retracted the report. And uh, Janet Napolitano, Department of Homeland Security chief, apologized for that report from 2009. But what we learn and what we have learned in the years since that that report was absolutely right, was absolutely prescient about what was going on in this country. And I want to go back to both that report and to the man uh, who wrote that report, Daryl Johnson, formerly of the Department of Homeland Security, the lead author of that report. But before I do, there were these shootings over the weekend in Las Vegas. Uh, these uh, two people, uh, Jared and, and Miller and his wife, uh, who shot two cops in Las Vegas and uh, someone else in a Walmart before taking their own life. These two were out at the Bundy Ranch. They are members, self-identified members of the so-called Patriot Movement, the Liberty Movement, whatever they want to call it. Um, and these people, frankly, we know that they pose an extraordinary threat to this nation. No, not peaceful protesters, but people who would go out, take their automatic rifles and point them at federal agents as some sort of protest for a scofflaw rancher who doesn't want to pay his bills that he owes, that everyone else pays uh, to the federal government for, uh, for, for ranching, the fees. He won't do it. Well, Jared, Jared Miller was out at the Bundy Ranch before he carried out this massacre over the weekend. And he was interviewing people on his own, putting them up on YouTube, and he was being interviewed uh, by the media as well. Here's a couple of clips of Jared Miller talking to a woman at the Bundy Ranch uh, about how the federal government is just taking all of our freedoms. Okay, Margaret, well, thank you for your testimony. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, it's awesome that you're out here doing this. Okay. Well, this is family. This is where I was raised. This is where I've seen the cattle on the river. It's, it's what, how it's supposed to be. It is our freedom. They're yeah. taking it away inch by inch, and we need to stand up. It doesn't matter what their excuse is. Exactly. They're taking our freedoms. I mean, it, that's right. That's right. And we need to fight, America. We need to fight. Thank you. Yes, we need to fight. They're taking our freedoms. They're taking our freedom to use land that doesn't belong to us for free. That was Jared Miller. He later spoke to uh, KRNV in Reno, Nevada, uh, who interviewed him, uh, where he discussed, uh, you know, shooting the feds. I feel sorry for any federal agents that want to come in here and try to push us around or anything like that. I, I really don't want violence toward them, but if they're going to come bring violence to us, well, if that's the language they want to speak, We'll learn it. 
Yeah, well, he learned it all right, and he shot two cops point-blank in Las Vegas over the weekend. And, of course, with folks like that, we could have seen him seen it coming. At least Daryl Johnson did. Uh, he was the one who wrote that report in 2009 for the Department of Homeland Security, the report that was mandated by Congress that was begun during the Bush administration that had to be retracted because right-wing talk radio hosts and right-wing bloggers pretended to be outraged about it, pretended that they had their feelings hurt, pretended that Obama was coming after them the way they always do. You remember the pretend IRS scandal, right? So Johnson was the agency's uh, senior domestic terrorism analyst from 2004 to 2010. Uh, The report was entitled Right-Wing Extremism, Current Economic and Political Climate, Fueling Resurgence in Radicalization and Recruitment. It was a 10-page report. We have it at Brad Blog, even though it's been retracted. Um, The uh, 10-page report had cautioned about the reemergence of potentially violent extremist groups, quote, that are mainly anti-government, rejecting federal authority in favor of state or local authority or rejecting government authority entirely. Uh, The report warned that the similar uh, conditions were developing that we saw in the 1990s during the militia movement. We had an economic recession. We had a Democrat in the White House which had led to, among other domestic terrorist incidents, the 1995 bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah building in a federal building in Oklahoma. Daryl Johnson had warned about a, quote, growth in the number of domestic right-wing terrorist and extremist groups and an increase in violent, uh, violent acts targeting government facilities, law enforcement officers, banks, and infrastructure sectors. The report cautioned that, quote, lone wolves and small terrorist cells embracing violent right wing extremist ideology are the most dangerous domestic terrorism threat in the United States and concluded that right wing extremism is likely to grow in strength. And boy, howdy has it. There was a 2011 interview with Daryl Johnson after he had left DHS Uh, Brian Levin, uh, the director of the Center for Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University, interviewed Daryl Johnson just after the massacre of 77 mostly children at a youth summer camp by a right-wing extremist in Norway. Uh, I reposted uh, excerpts from that interview at bradblog.com, but let me hit you with just a couple of them. Daryl Johnson was uh, asked about the report. Was it a politically motivated hit job? And, uh, of course, he said, well, no, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-gun. He's a conservative. He's a Republican Mormon. Uh, And, yes, he has concerns about uh, the overreach of the federal government. So to say that this guy wrote a report to try to attack conservatives, to try to attack right-wingers, is ridiculous on its face. But that never stopped the right-wingers before. He says the report was not politically motivated. It was researched over a long period. He said, I regret that so many people took things out of context, mischaracterized the report, used it to orchestrate political attacks against President Obama and his administration. 
He says since Obama took office, there have been nearly 20 extremist right-wing attacks and plots, including the killing of almost a dozen police officers and separate, uh, six separate attacks. There have been militia plots in places like Alaska and Michigan that targeted government officials, such as a judge and police. Package bombs were mailed in the D.C. area. In recent months, we've had three sovereign citizen-related shootings in Florida, Arizona, and Texas. Mind you, that interview, this interview where Daryl Johnson is talking is from 2011. So that doesn't count everything that's happened since, including over the weekend, this massacre in Las Vegas. Oh, and the attack in Georgia at a, uh, at a federal courthouse by a guy who called himself a sovereign citizen. Reportedly, before the shootings in Vegas, uh, they, they screamed, uh, this is revolution. They ended up dropping, uh, draping the cops' dead bodies with the Gadsden flag, the don't tread on me flag, uh, and swastikas. Daryl Johnson was asked, uh, how does the threat from radical Muslim extremists in the U.S. compare with that of right-wing domestic extremists? He said during the past 10 years, there have been five successful attacks in the U.S. by Muslim extremists. But in the last three years, there have been 20 attacks attributed to domestic right-wing extremists. And the number of fatalities is about equal between the two. He said there were more firearms possessed by the Hutari militia. That's an alleged... uh, Uh, extremist, right-wing extremist militia, more firearms possessed by the Hutari than by all 200 of the Muslim extremists arrested in the U.S. since 9-11. He went on to say that after uh, the report was pulled due to the right-wing criticism, quote, my team at Department of Homeland Security was dissolved. All training courses and briefing presentations were stopped. DHS leaders made it increasingly difficult to release another report on the topic. He says there is one less agency to assist state and local law enforcement with this growing and dangerous problem at a time of heightened activity. He said, my unit at DHS was unique in that we conducted trend analysis of domestic non-Islamic extremists in the United States. We were also congressionally mandated by by statute to study the radicalization phenomena, we were the only analytical unit in the un- in the intelligence community doing this type of work from a purely domestic, non-Islamic perspective. And, of course, that all stopped after the Republican pretend outrage over that report. And the carnage has continued since. Writing at Salon in 2012... Daryl Johnson updated uh, the numbers, the trail of the dead. He said, since the DHS warning concerning the resurgence of right-wing extremism, 27 law enforcement officers had been shot, 16 killed by right-wing extremists. Over a dozen mosques have been burned with firebombs, likely attributed to individuals embracing Islamophobic beliefs. In May 2009, an abortion doctor was murdered while attending church. Two other assassination plots against abortion providers were thwarted during 2011. And half a dozen women's clinics were attacked with explosives and incendiary devices over the past two years. This was back in 2012. He noted that in January 2010, a tax resistor deliberately crashed his plane with a 50-gallon drum of gasoline 
into a uh, into an IRS processing center in Austin, Texas. In January 2011, three incendiary bombs were mailed to government officials in Annapolis, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. In January 2011, a backpack bomb was placed along a Martin Luther King Day parade in Spokane, Washington. And during 2010 to 2012, there have been multiple plots to kill ethnic minorities, police, and other government officials by militia extremists and white supremacists. He wrote uh, about this. This was Daryl Johnson writing at Salon in August of 2012, just after the massacre at the Sikh Temple in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, and the shooting of four sheriff's deputies in St. John's Parish, Louisiana, in August. Those, he wrote, were the latest manifestations of right-wing extremist violence in the U.S., yet there have been no hearings on Capitol Hill about the issue. DHS still has only one analyst monitoring domestic terrorism. The federal government's failure to recognize the domestic terrorism threat tells me there will assuredly be more attacks to come. That was Daryl Johnson in 2012. And assuredly, there were many more attacks that came thereafter. I wanted to make sure we got that out there because uh, already with the uh, Eric Cantor news yesterday, the news of the uh, domestic terror attacks over the weekend had already gotten lost as if they hadn't gotten lost enough when Republicans demanded that the Department of Homeland Security retract (laughs) their own support, uh, their own report that was incredibly prescient and incredibly chilling if you read it today. You can read it at Bradblog. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here and come back with uh, much more Bradcast. Maybe some of your calls, if I can get to them, 818 985 5735, and we'll lighten it up with the Mississippi Mystery Courthouse Caper. And oh, yeah, California is taking away your right to recount elections unless you're really rich. And Desi Doyen will be here with the Green News Report. All of that straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Gore Vidal's on-screen adaptation of his slyly subversive and popular play The Best Man, which recently enjoyed a hit Broadway revival, tells the juicy inside story of jockeying for power at a political convention where two very different candidates are vying for the presidential nomination, willing to do anything to gain an advantage. With an all-star cast, including Henry Fonda and Cliff Robertson, this one-night-only screening of an American classic will include a post-screening Q&A with cinematographer Haskell Wexler and producer Lawrence Terman. The Best Man screens one night only on Wednesday, June 11th at 7 p.m. at the Landmark, 10850 West Pico Boulevard in Los Angeles. A limited number of tickets are available to KPFK Film Club members who are invited to call the front desk at 818-985-2711-0 for operator for a pair of tickets to this very special event. And if you aren't already a film club member, please consider joining at kpfk.org. When the sun goes down, the tide goes out, 
people gather round and they all begin to shout. Hey, hey, how could that it's a treat to beat your feet on the Mississippi mud? It's a treat to beat your feet on the Mississippi mud. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plenty of Mississippi mud coming up momentarily. Uh, this amazing story about what happened at the uh, courthouse on election night. Uh, the Republican primary election for the U.S. Senate uh, just about a week ago. Uh, some uh, previously unreported details I will be sharing with you shortly. But a couple of you called in, so let me see if I can take some very, very quick calls here. John in Sun Valley, welcome to the broadcast. What's up, John? Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm concerned uh, about this Las Vegas shooter for uh, reasons other than what um, may be obvious. Mayhem being the the main one. Um, I'm concerned that his brand of is going to be used as, let's say, an excuse. Your, and your phone, uh, John. Let me let me just help you out. You, his, you're worried that his brand of domestic terrorism will be used as an excuse. I think is what you said. Your phone is breaking up a little bit, so I just want oh. to make sure. That's okay. Go ahead. Great. That's okay. Go ahead. It's uh, going to be used as an excuse to try to uh, suppress dissent in this country that is based on uh, sanity and legality yeah. rather than what he did. John and, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and sorry about the phone. That's okay. I, I, I take your point. I think your point is that you're worried that the federal government or you know even local officials will use this uh, to clamp down even further on protesters, on peaceful protesters, yes. than they already have. I totally share that concern. Yes, these jerks, these creeps ruin it for everyone. But to be frank, it was already ruined for everyone. If you take a look at uh, how uh, law enforcement crushed absolutely violently crushed the Occupy movement all around the country. And we covered it in great detail at the time uh, here on the show. And those same right-wingers who are out there pointing uh, semi-automatic weapons at federal officials at the Bundy Ranch and committing this terrorism, those very same people who pretend to give a damn about freedom, where were they when law enforcement actually was crushing the individual yeah. well, peaceful the, protesters of the occupiers. The the occupy movement was then, and happening seems to be happening now, is different in that the media, the corporate government media, is uh, discussing perhaps more often than before all the uh, instances of violence that's being uh, being done. Like uh, just to what the Oregon. Some camp, uh, some campus shooter on Oregon just happened. What yesterday? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yep, yep. It did, and so, uh, but uh, uh, lots of lots of lots of stuff going on, everybody. Um, and and so you know, it, it's a drive not to not to crush people's will with jackboots, but to crush people's motivation in with them them saying to themselves their own self determination. Like, well, there's so much insanity going on let's uh, let's just keep our heads down and not try to rock the boat any more than it's being rocked thanks well it needs to be rocked thank you john i agree thanks. it needs to be rocked it needs to be rocked peacefully uh not the way these right wingers frankly are doing it uh very quickly let me get to uh, reese and i got a lot more straight ahead hey reese welcome to the bradcast what's on your mind thank you brad for having me um i really like your show i like when uh 
people are speaking light to the world and revealing the darkness that's all around us. And that's what I wanted to kind of do on this broadcast is just say that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, uh, campaigning for, you know, gun control and these kind of things. But why you can't offset the balance. The gun, the gun laws and freedoms are there for us to protect ourselves from the government. No, they're and not. The whole no, no, they're not. That's that's that's, that's a that's a ridiculous that's a myth that was put in place uh, largely by the NRA back when uh, the radicals took it over back in the seventies. No, it's not meant to protect ourselves from the government. And if you think you're going to protect yourself from the federal government, from their drones and tanks and nuclear missiles with your little semi-automatic weapon, well, I'm not sure what world you're living in, but it's a world uh, in which NRA propaganda uh, has has made a sucker of you, frankly. Well, can I finish my point? Sure. And the whole reason I say that is because Look at the atrocities that are committed by the law enforcement and, and such, and even the military, you know, even whether it's domestic or international. Nobody's taking guns out of their hands, you know, so you can't upset the balance. I think there's the wrong area to focus. I think what we really got to focus on outreach and really helping the country as a whole to grow and get better as a whole. And I think we're forgetting the most powerful word out there is love. And there's a lot of people that condemn, you know, helping out somebody who may be down on their luck or whatever kind of challenges they're going through. But that's the only way that we can all come together and create peace. So all this other stuff is, like you said, propagandized. And uh, I think that we really got to look in into, you know, introspect into ourselves and our psyche and really see what's going on here. Thanks. Thanks, Reese. I do appreciate your thoughts. Uh, obviously, I don't agree with you on uh, some of them. Uh, we do need to look at ourselves and what's going on, and we need to look at a country that has 80% approval rating for the lowest hanging gun safety pr- uh, fruit, frankly, which is background checks. Close the, the gun show loopholes. 80% uh, of Americans are in favor of that. Almost the same amount of Republicans are also in favor of that. But we can't even hold a vote in the U.S. Congress about an issue like that because the uh, Congress members are so beholden to the NRA, which is beholden to the arms industry, which has made up this completely mythical nonsense about, oh, the founding fathers wanted us to be able to fire weapons and kill uh, members of the federal government. Nonsense. Nonetheless, if we're all cool with the fact that uh, 35,000 people are killed with guns each year, that's fine if that's what we want to do. But you know what? Put it up to a vote, a vote of the people's representatives in Congress. We are not even allowed to have a vote. Put it up for a vote. And if it loses, if we want to still, you know, let everybody buy guns, uh, any type of guns, anytime, anywhere, great. But that's not what the people want. That's not a democracy. That's not a representative democracy. And that's what we do here at the Bradcast Fight for Representative Democracy. Okay, let me move on to this Mississippi story because it is it is amazing. Um, as usual, I will point you uh, for more details over to bradblog.com because we never have enough time to get into all of it. But um, And I want to get to this California story as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, in, in the middle of the night uh, last week, last Tuesday, in the Republican U.S. Senate primary election, 
between Thad Cochran, six-term U.S. Senator, and his challenger, Chris McDaniel, his Tea Party challenger, Chris McDaniel. Uh, incredibly cl- uh, close race. Uh, it turned out that they each got about 49.5 percent in the Republican primary, which means that neither of them got 50 percent plus one. So there's going to be a runoff on June 24 uh, between uh, Thad Cochran and his Tea Party challenger, Chris McDaniel. But that was fun enough. But the weird stuff, the really strange stuff, was that in the middle of the night, a uh, member of the Republican, uh, the local Republican Party out there got a call from a fellow uh, member of the Republican Party, actually a member of the Central Mississippi Tea Party, who said she was locked in the Hines County Courthouse. Turns out she was caught, uh, locked there with two other people and they couldn't get out. They said they were there all alone at the Hines County Courthouse where the ballots were for this incredibly close election. What the hell were they doing in the uh, in the Hines County Courthouse earlier in the night? Uh, one of uh, McDaniel's top staffers, uh, Scott Brewster, had uh, said on Facebook that uh, it's all going to come down to Hines County. We will win the night, but there might be a runoff. Scott Brewster was one of the three supporters of McDaniel who were found in the Hines County Courthouse in the middle of the night, where the ballots were, where the voting systems were, where the memory cards, the incredibly fragile memory cards were for that election. Uh, so, of course, people started freaking out, saying, what were they doing there with those, uh, the, those ballots in this incredibly close race? Did they somehow manipulate the ballots? Well, we don't know when they actually went into the courthouse, unfortunately. We only know when they came out. Around 3.45 when uh, the sheriff finally showed up to let them out and uh, that sheriff's uh, department in Hines County says that there are inconsistencies in their story, says that there were fabrications in their stories from each of the three of them as far as why they were there. And then the Hines County Court uh, Sheriff's Department let them go without charges. Now, the good news is that the district attorney is now investigating the affair. But what of those ballots? What could they have possibly done, this uh, Tea Party trio? What could they have done with those ballots? Uh, I contacted, on behalf of uh, bradblog.com, the election commission out in Hines County to find out exactly where those ballots were. Uh, Originally, the report was that those ballots were secured so that these people couldn't get to them. But what about uh, the computer tabulators that we talked about at the beginning of this show? What about the memory cards? What about the blank ballots? Uh, I spoke with Connie Cochran, who, as it turns out, is the sister-in-law of Thad Cochran, the six-term U.S. senator who is running in this race. So if anybody would have a reason to be concerned about whatever the hell happened at the Hines County, Mississippi courthouse with these three uh, tree party uh, tree party, tea party knuckleheads, uh, she would have a concern because, you know, she's supporting uh, her, presumably supporting her brother-in-law, Thad McDaniel. Uh, I'm sorry, Thad Cochran. Gets confusing. Connie Cochran, sister-in-law to Thad Cochran. Okay, so she told me that, in fact, uh, those ballots were all locked away uh, in the circuit clerk's office or in her vault which apparently would have made a very loud sound had anybody gotten into it. 
But one of the original original reports said that there were some uh, unsecured items that were left in the courthouse hallway, and I wanted to know about that. She told me that there were, um, let's see, pens, papers, pencils, things like that from the precinct that were left in, uh, in, in bags that were in the hallway in the courthouse that they could have had access to. And in those bags were also blank ballots. Well, blank ballots. That's what you use uh, if you want to stuff, uh, stuff an election, stuff the ballot box. Connie Cochran uh, told me, however, that uh, each of those uh, bags included uh, materials from the precinct that reconciled how many blank ballots there should have been. She says there are checks and balances for all of these things and that uh, if uh, implying that if they had used any of these blank ballots for any chicanery, they would have been able to discover it very easily. They use uh Paper ballots out there. They moved from a 100% unverifiable touchscreen system in uh, Hines County uh, in 2012. Now they use paper ballots. All the paper ballots and the memory cards were locked in the circuit clerk's office, I am told, by Commissioner Cochran. I asked about the tabulator. She said that those computers were locked in her office, in the office of the Election Commission, when the trio left at... Uh, I'm sorry, when the commissioners left at 8, uh, 1130 at night after counting uh, ballots in this incredibly close race and that they were still locked the next day. So she, at least, Connie Cochran, is not concerned about this Tea Party trio having access to the system, being able to change the results of the election, which was determined by a margin of just 1,500 votes. 1,500 votes kept this thing from going to November. 1,500 votes uh, out of, what is it? I don't have the numbers in front. 300,000 votes cast. Um, just uh, 1,500 votes kept this from going to a November race and is going to continue this contest through uh, June 24th and the runoff. She's not concerned about it. Now, that said, even if this Tea Party trio could not get to the ballots, could not get to the tabulators, could not get to the memory cards, insiders like Connie Cochran certainly could. And as a matter of fact, she'd have a reason to, wouldn't she? She's the, bro- the sister-in-law of the U.S. senator who's in this election. And the only thing that can oversee insiders gaming a system like that is citizens. And that brings us to California. And this is a- another amazing story that we ran today exclusively at Bradblog, the California legislature is now moving to restrict citizen-requested election recounts to all but the wealthiest of individuals. Up until now, California, we've talked about it on the show, has one of the most uh, liberal uh, recount statutes, statutes in the country. Any voter who wants to ask for a recount in any race in any city, in any precinct, may do so, so long as they can come up with the money to pay for it. Now, we've talked over the years here on this show about how registrars abuse their privileges by charging way, 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 way too much for election recounts. And they do so arbitrarily. They don't post it before the election. It leads to a uh, at least the appearance of a conflict of interest when Let's say a Democratic uh, election clerk, you know, prices a recount way too high uh, in order to maybe protect a Democratic candidate who's in a close race. Um, That law needs to be changed to require election clerks 
to post how much it will cost to do a recount in an election before the election happens. The Prop 37 GMO labeling uh, initiative recount was stopped dead in its tracks when Fresno County Registrar demanded $18,000 before a single ballot could even be counted. So I've got all kinds of um, details of counts that have been stopped from registrars charging too much. But what this new California bill, authored by a Republican assemblyman, Kurt Hagman, uh, what this bill would do would require that citizen... uh, Requested recounts must now be paid paid for, quote, uh, from the voters' own personal funds. That's right. If you want to recount an election, you can't do it with a group of people. You can't get a bunch of, uh, you know, you, you can't ask for donations. According to this new law, if it passes, if you're not wealthy enough to afford the 18, 20,000, who knows how much it, it, these recounts will cost, if you can't personally afford it from your own personal funds, you can't do the recount. Now, this is a Republican bill. It would seem that it was uh, you know, being put forward, who knows, maybe to stop these types of recounts. But incredibly, The Democrats in the Assembly are supporting it. This thing just passed 66 to 7. It's AB uh, 2369, Assembly Bill 2369. It passed out of the uh, democratically controlled Assembly 66 to 7. And now it's uh, awaiting a hearing in the uh, state Senate. Now, I talked with um, Kurt Hagman's office. Uh, He says that this is about transparency. He says uh, this uh, in in a press release after the bill passed in the assembly, passed out of the assembly. He said, I'm pleased that my colleagues realized the need to clarify current law, which states that the person requesting a recount has to deposit the funds to pay for it, but does not specify where those funds may come from. This bill will prevent direct third party contributions, thereby making sure voters know not only who is requesting a recount, but also how it is being funded. Why we need to know how it's being funded, I don't even know. The fact of the matter is these recounts, especially when they're hand counts, are done by county officials. They're done publicly. They're done transparently. What does it matter who paid for them? The counts are the counts. The public, transparent, human counts are the counts. Hagman's legislative director, Katja Weissman, Uh, explained that it was transparency. She says, our goal is not to prevent third parties from contributing or to restrict accessibility to the recount uh, process. Our goal is simply disclosure. It is political activity that should be tracked, Weissman says. Just as it is political information who donates to campaigns, it should be public information who paid for a recount that could result in a different candidate potentially being in office. That was the argument that won the day in the assembly. The Democrats there uh, bought it. However, I talked to people who have done uh, recounts recently here in California. One of them, Tom Corbett, who tried to do that uh, GMO recount of Prop 37. He said this is a terrible bill and needs a massive effort to defeat it. He says there's absolutely no good legitimate reason to prohibit any voter from asking for a recount. Doing so limits the democratic process. This has clearly made it clearly meant to make it harder for citizens to recount elections. The other people I spoke to and we're short on time, so I'll point you to Bradblog.com and maybe we'll cover this uh, down the road a bit as well. But the other people I spoke to who had done recounts uh, said the same thing, that this is a threat to democracy, a threat to oversight. And by the way, the legislative analysis prepared for the bill 
for lawmakers in the Assembly also said it is unclear how this bill will result in more transparency when current law already provides for disclosure. Uh, when campaigns and initiative committees are counting. So check that out at bradblog.com. Okay, I know, we're running late. Let's do some green news. Melting for you, Desi Doyen, <laughs> and as usual, running short on time. I know, I so much you. news, so I little time. Yeah, I told you it was a big news week. Ready for some uh, for some green yeah. news? All right, let's do it. Our latest green news report. We can argue about how, but let's not argue about what's going on. President Obama pushes back against climate change denying politicians. Real world data shows cutting emissions boosts economic growth. Plus, there's no one who wants this thing over more than I do. You know, I'd like my life back. Supreme Court says BP must continue oil spill payouts. Poor BP. All of that and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Yes, the climate is changing, but it has been doing that for centuries. But man-made, isn't that the question? Then why did the dinosaurs go extinct? Yeah, why did the dinosaurs go extinct? Republican Congressman Jeff Miller of Florida. It was a meteor. We haven't had any of those lately. Brother, this is your Green News Report. So neither of us are scientists on this. We'll have to leave it there. So the denialists are still out there, Desi Doyen. Oh yeah, they'll they'll never stop. Uh, But I've noticed since last week's big announcement by the Obama administration's EPA that they would be requiring carbon emissions reductions, there has not really been much of a full-throated defense from Republicans, from the climate change deniers, or at least not as much as I would have expected. Yes, the response does seem to be muted, but President Obama is nonetheless pushing back anyway against the climate change denial industry and their friends in Congress that are trying to stop these first-ever carbon emission standards for power plants. The science is compelling. The baseline fact of climate change is not something that we can afford to deny. In his first full-length interview ever on climate change for the new Showtime documentary TV series Years of Living Dangerously, Obama pushed back against climate science-denying Republicans in Congress. If you profess leadership in this country at this moment in our history, uh, then you've got to recognize that this is going to be one of the most significant long-term challenges, if not the most significant long-term challenge, that this country faces and the planet faces. The good news is the American public is way ahead of politicians and supports climate action. New polls show the vast majority of Americans support the new emission standards for power plants, even if it raises prices. And those are currently estimated to be no more than about the cost of a gallon of milk per month. But Republicans in Fox News and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce have pretended that it's going to destroy the economy, put us out of business, and result in everyone freezing in the dark. That's right. The climate change denial industry claims really are just untrue. For example, in 2011, the Brad blog obtained exclusive secret tapes from one of the billionaire Koch brothers' super-secret meetings in Aspen, Colorado, in which billionaire David Koch praised New Jersey Governor Chris Christie for withdrawing from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Only a few weeks ago, he announced that the New Jersey, that New Jersey would be withdrawing from the Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Which was- <laughs> 
have raised energy costs, reduced economic growth, and led to very little, if any, benefit for the environment. Did you hear that guy booing the environment at the yeah. end of that clip? <laughs> that Brad Blog exclusive was also picked up by Showtime's Years of Living Dangerously. But in the clip, David Koch says that the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative in the Northeast uh, would raise energy costs, reduce economic growth, and lead to very little, if any, benefit for the environment. Is David Koch correct? Absolutely not. Real-world data proves that they're wrong. States that have already reduced their carbon emissions actually lead the nation in economic growth. New England, which joined that regional greenhouse gas initiative that New Jersey withdrew from, their emissions cap-and-trade agreement has achieved 40% emissions reductions, residential electricity bills have fallen 7%, and economic growth in the region is actually running ahead of the rest of the nation. It's as if those people have been lying to us. Yep, and you know what? New Jersey is now lagging the rest of the nation in economic growth. Since Chris Christie pulled out of that initiative after secretly meeting with David Koch. Yep. And more evidence that cutting emissions is good for the economy. Germany's steady long-term transition to 100% renewable energy has had its ups and downs, but it hasn't hurt the German economy. Bloomberg News this week reports that Germany now has the unusual problem of deciding what to do with a budget surplus for the third year in a row. Finally, some good news for the folks on the Gulf Coast. The U.S. Supreme Court has rejected BP Oil's latest attempt to cut damage payments on its 2010 oil spill, the worst offshore oil spill in the nation's history. The Supreme Court justices let stand two rulings from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that require BP to continue paying out damages even while it's in the process of trying to appeal the settlement that it negotiated and signed. BP is using the Exxon Valdez playbook, turning to the courts to reduce their oil spill liability costs. I'm just amazed the Supreme Court didn't let them. That's good news. For much more on all of those stories and a whole bunch of them that we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes, where you'll do us a favor and help others hear the Green News Report by leaving us a good review. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Good news, good news. Somehow the Supreme Court managed once in their lifetime to do the right thing, <laughs> at least in the BP case. All right, well, that's some of the good news. For much more, check us out, of course, at bradblog.com. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to G, our soundboard operator. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 O'Clock Report with columnist Katha Pollitt today on Sex, Lies, and Money. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel, commandeering your airwaves next week. I look forward to it. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and, of course, at bradblog.com. Good night, America. <laughs> <laughs>